the greatest generation actually fought and defeated fascism 75 years ago. You know, it wasn't Antifa and their black ninja costumes. It was real men and women who fought. And many died for the freedoms we hold dear today. I was thinking about that this past week in particular because on Monday, it was 79 years ago. 79 years ago, the United States entered World War II after 2,403 Americans died at Pearl Harbor. One of them was a young man named Walter Robert Bovio. He was killed that day on December 7th, 1941. He served on the USS Arizona, and that is believed to be his final resting place. Now, Bovio was born 102 years ago in the same town where I grew up, a small little town called Delavan in the state of Wisconsin. He was the son of Robert and Leanna Jones. He enlisted in the United States Navy during World War II in Milwaukee County, which happens to be where Tonette and I raised our two sons, Matt and Alex. And Bovio obviously was stationed at Pearl Harbor. He had the rank of petty officer second class and was an aviation machinist mate second class. Walter Robert Bovio is memorialized on the tablets of the missing at the National Memorial Cemetery of the Pacific up in Honolulu, Hawaii. Some, some people actually call it the punch bowl. Earlier this year in January, which seems like it was 20 years ago, but it was just January, less than a year ago, Tonette, Matt, Alex, and I had a chance to pay our respects to Bovio and the others buried and memorialized at that cemetery and just down the, the way from there at the Pearl Harbor Memorial over the top of the USS Arizona. We will never forget him, nor will we forget the others who died that day for our country 79 years ago. Thinking about another memorial in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., there's a field of 4,000 sculptured gold stars on the Freedom Wall at the World War II Memorial in, in our nation's capital. These stars commemorate the more than 400,000 men and women who gave their lives from the time of the attack on Pearl Harbor to the end of the Second World War. Back at the time, a blue star in the window meant that a family member was in the service, and there were many. When you think about more than 400,000 dying, just imagine all the others who served. It was during World War II for the first time that a gold star sadly replaced that blue star in the house of a family where someone had made the ultimate sacrifice in defense of our country. Obviously, beyond the honored dead, there were many other brave men and women who fought during the Second World War, and a number of them, probably like many of you listening into this podcast, were uh, a number of them were members of our family. In my case, it was one in particular that comes to mind is my great uncle, Warren Fitch. He fought in the United States Army and received a Purple Heart. Now, I call him Uncle Warren because my, my mother, uh, even though her father, my grandfather, came from a family where he had 12 other siblings. So there were a lot of cousins at the Christmas gatherings at the Grange Hall. Uh, but my mother was an only child, and Uncle Warren was a bit younger than the others and was a bachelor and came back. In fact, part of the reason why I know and connect with him well is uh, he grew up not too far from where we lived in Delavan. He was just over the county line in Rock County and worked on a farm there. And... Uh, what I particularly liked is when he came back from World War II, he went over to Kegels, the Harley-Davidson dealership. In fact, I think it's the oldest family 
owned Harley-Davidson dealership in the world, but the uh, dealership there just outside of Rockford. Uh, my mom w- was born and raised on a, a farm that didn't have indoor plumbing uh, between Rockford and Belvedere, and the Fitch family farm was just a little bit down the way. But Uncle Warren, Uncle Warren, like so many other uncles and aunts, fathers and mothers, uh, brothers and sisters, Uncle Warren and others in that greatest generation really did fight fascism. They won the war, and then they came back and built our country into the power that it is today. Most, though, like Uncle Warren, didn't brag about it or even very often talk about it. They just did it. In fact, uh, one of the few things I I got out of Uncle Warren connected to the war is because uh, I I ride a Harley as well. I've got a 2003 anniversary edition Road King. Uh, The family saw fit that the boots that he had, uh, that he wore in the military during World War II, he, he wore when he rode his motorcycle. And so the family thought, and I still have them today, uh, still with the dust of, and the grit from, uh, from his time overseas and then his time riding, uh, riding a motorcycle. But that is just, I've heard story after story after story of people who talked about talking to their grandparents or their parents or their uncles or aunts or others who served during World War II. And again, they just don't like talking about it. They just, they fought. They fought fascism, they won that war, and then they came back and built this country into the power that it is today, and they didn't want to talk much about it. Like a lot of people were surprised, not only with Michael Warren, but Michael Ken, who served in the Korean War. Each of them, when they passed away in their obituaries, it mentioned the Purple Heart. And a lot of people didn't know much of anything about their military experience, certainly didn't know that they received a Purple Heart and that's just typical of that generation. Now, in contrast, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, last year I remember told her Twitter followers that, that an entire generation, which is now becoming one of the largest electorates in America, came of age and never saw American prosperity. That's what she said. She said it right on Twitter. Talk about being out of touch with reality. AOC is just dead wrong. It, the complete opposite is true. Prior to the global pandemic, no generation in human history had ever experienced, ever, uh, the kind of prosperity and freedom and and opportunities, the lack of uh, massive uh, famine, of uh, disease. I mean, just completely out of touch with reality. But apparently in today's culture, if you say something enough times, uh, people believe it, particularly if it's on social media. That's what AOC said. Now, the irony is she actually did receive, she and her generation did receive prosperity. uh, And that's largely because of the greatest generation fighting. I mean, if anything, she should say thanks to the members of the greatest generation for her good fortune. America. America has led time and time again. They led not only during World War II, uh, but I think about my time growing up, America, particularly under President Reagan, leading the efforts to advance freedom and prosperity during the Cold War. That, in turn, helped bring down the fall of communism in the Soviet Union and throughout Eastern Europe. I think of the fall of the Berlin Wall that we celebrated that that uh, that dramatic time in in global history just last month in November. Time and time again, American patriots have proved that protecting freedoms endowed by a creator for individuals is superior, it's absolutely superior to ceding unrestrained power 
over our lives to the government. Those battles continue today, not, not just with foreign adversaries, but, but all too often with domestic foes as well. More than just resist, we must persist in our fight to protect freedom. It's why I'm so excited to be a part of Young America's Foundation, YAF, YAF.org, where we're trying to train the next generation of freedom fighters. We understand that the battle for years has been our college campuses, and it's expanding into culture. We see it now in elections. To turn things around, we can't just do it with a few flashy ads or memes on social media. We actually have to get into our schools, get into our campuses, reach out to our young people, make changes in the culture. More than just personalities or themes, we actually have to talk about big, bold ideas and principles. And then we got to tell it, not just from a point of logic, we've got to tell it uh, from an emotional point of view. Uh, I, I, I tell, in fact, we just had a gathering of students about a month ago, and, and I told them that you know the failure to protect their liberties will, will ultimately lead our, our beloved country down the, ba- uh, the wrong path. And I give a couple examples. You know, today it's not just memories of the past, the old Soviet Union or the Eastern Bloc countries. Uh, it, it's thinking about Venezuela and Cuba as two very real modern day examples of the failures of socialism. A year ago in Venezuela, nine out of every 10 Venezuelans lived in poverty. Remember, that's in a country that not too long ago was one of the wealthiest in this entire hemisphere. In Cuba, now, this is a, something, a blast from the past under Fidel Castro, but even today under their socialist policies. In Cuba, get this. I don't remember anything else in this podcast. Remember this. In Cuba, the minimum wage is $17. But that's not per hour or even per day or week. The minimum wage in Cuba is about $17 per month. This reality for those living under socialism should be a warning of what a less free America could become in the future. We must never become a socialist country. Is any wonder that there's more than a million people who legally immigrate into the United States each year? Compare that to the rest of the world. There there are literally more foreign-born citizens here in the United States than in any other country. The next closest is we're four times greater than People from all over the world want to come to the U.S. for the freedom and opportunity. They want to live the American dream. Nine decades ago, the United States was under attack. It took the greatest generation to win the war and restore the American way of life for themselves and, more importantly, for future generations. Indeed, we are the home of the free because of the brave. Now, we must raise up another generation of brave and selfless Americans— willing to fight for liberty, to ensure that we remain the homeland for freedom. These words echo what I wrote in my weekly column in the Washington Times. And, you know, week by week, uh, I write all sorts of topics. This one I thought was timely with uh, uh, the remembrance of what happened uh, almost 80 years ago. Next year will be the 80th anniversary of the attacks on Pearl Harbor. Uh, other days, I write, certainly I talked about the Berlin Wall briefly here, but I wrote a whole column on the Berlin Wall earlier this year, on November, the week of November 9th. Certainly talked a lot about the elections and Will Moore as we approach the uh, January special elections in Georgia and what's at stake there. Um, talk about all sorts of different things. And uh, as you can imagine, the Washington Times post a uh, email which is just specific for uh, that column. It's a separate email from the others I use at YAF and other activities I've done in the past. 
but the good news is I, I quite often hear from people, particularly Memorial Day, Veterans Day, certainly this one, I, I heard over the past day or so, uh, once it went online on Thursday, uh, late in the day, I, I hear from people, as I did this time, who, particularly when it involves veterans in the military, who will tell me about people in their family. Uh, they'll tell me about how Uncle Warren or about Walter Robert Bovio remind them of people in their family who served and some who made that ultimate sacrifice. And to all of you who send in messages after reading that column and pass that on, uh, I'm so grateful for that. I, As I've said before, years ago, in the midst of all the protests and riots and chaos at our state capitol, uh, when we were pushing major reforms leading up to the recall attempt against me, I, I stopped reading the comments. There were literally tens of thousands of comments on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And at the time, as you can imagine, many of them from outside of my state were were just awful. Uh, I remember once I was made a comment about someone who had uh, relatively young in his 40s had passed away, had been on a donor list uh, for a kidney, I believe, had worked for the previous governor who was a Democrat, but someone I knew and had worked with when I was a county executive. And I, I commented about what a shame it was, what a decent man he was. And after the first few comments, people proceeded to just say awful things about me, completely unrelated to this gentleman. And, and I just thought at that point, I thought, you know, that's it. I, I don't need to raise my blood pressure. I don't need the chaos. Certainly, I don't block people. Everybody can communicate on my social media sites, but I, I don't need to get involved in, in much of that nonsense. I know there are good and decent people who leave messages, and I apologize for that, but that, but I do read many of the emails that come in off of the Washington Times column. And again, thank you. So many of you write wonderful columns, words of encouragement, pass on prayers and scripture, tell me wonderful stories about family members, particularly those who've been veterans. But occasionally I get some nasty ones. And so I thought I'd, in light of what I just shared with you, which is similar to what I wrote about in the Washington Times, I, I thought with the last few minutes here of our podcast, um, I'd uh, I'd point out uh, one of the the more vulgar ones I got, just to put in perspective, because we hear all this talk about unity and needing to come together, and and that, and and all too often I think, well, that may sound good to the press. These are the sorts of comments uh, those of us who are conservative are frequently getting. Um, it was under the title, subject line, you are racist. And remember, the column that this person is referencing is the one where I talk about Pearl Harbor Day, talk about one of the people who died just from my hometown, talk about my Uncle Warren and all the others in that generation uh, fighting, truly fighting fascism and helping to rebuild our country and, and uh, how these principles are now more important than ever before. Um, so start out by saying, commenting about something I wrote in the Washington Post. I just politely pointed out uh, I didn't write anything in the Washington Post. So he then says, excuse me, correction, Washington Times, quote, uh, referencing my column, we need a new generation of brave and selfless Americans to fight for liberty, unquote. You are staring at that generation. Groups like Antifa and BLM, as well as ACAB, which, by the way, I had to look that up. That's another one of the kind of anti-police groups out there. So as well as ACB, are taking the necessary steps in ensuring a thriving, safe community and country into the following decades, standing up against oppressive systematic racism and systems put in place to keep people in poverty, especially those in black and brown communities. 
before attempting to dismiss our votes or voices to gloat about the climate crisis the boomer generation so ignorantly put us in the bare minimum the us did to fight racism to fight fascism the war crazy and dictatorialism ways the us poised uh, posed on the rest of the world, these are this person's words, and, and how it governed, oh, and also the raging wars in the Middle East we stay in to keep military profitable and give reasons to invade for oil wreaking havoc in the dust, and the systematic racism put in place to ensure the white upper class never loses their privileged place and power. Do me a favor next time and read a real history book, then maybe something will come out of your mouth that isn't pathetic garbage. Continues. And in case you don't know, black trans lives matter, abortion is a human right, black lives matter, LGBTQ plus rights matter, and your presidential campaign was quite hilariously guess you didn't have too many fans, not enough racist people for you. Uh, continues, although Trump managed to do it, so it makes you seem even more pathetic. I hope your family realizes the piece of, he says it, S-H-I-T, you are, or or have more than two brain cells to put together that would you together that what you advocate for is absolute BS, he actually says it, and the way you perceive life is a fallacy. The name is, I'm not going to say his name, doesn't need any more grief in his life, uh, and you, Scott Walker, can and blank off. Uh, begins with enough. Um, so uh, my, my response... Uh, was real simple. Uh, I I just told him I'd I'd uh, pray for him during Christmas, and then he proceeded to email me back that that he was going to turn Satan on me, and and uh, and that uh, Christianity was just an excuse to invade places. So one, I am going to pray for him because I'm just thinking uh, we can disagree, and I certainly appreciate people who listen to this podcast or read my columns and have difference of opinion. I'm always willing to have good discussions about difference of opinions, not just with liberals, but people who have different interpretations of things. But I often find when people react like this, and, and I saw this over the past decade uh, with the folks who would just go over the top against me. We certainly see it now with the president. We saw it years ago with President Bush. Uh, the whole derangement system. I, I, I really do pray for him because I just got to believe that there's something missing. There's there's something far greater than politics that's troubling uh, their lives. And so first off, I'd say not only will I do this, but I encourage anybody listening to this podcast to join me in praying for those uh, who are just so filled with anger, uh, overwhelming on the left. But I do think there's some of our fellow Americans who who share our political beliefs, uh, who are enraged in these times, and, and we need to pray for a sense of calm and peace and God's grace to come over their lives as well. I looked at this and I just thought, uh, you know, Antifa, BLM, the organization. Granted, I've talked about this before in this podcast. Certainly what happened in a number of these instances around the country, most specifically in, in Minneapolis, is absolutely wrong. And there are things to do for reform, I think we've exposed and what the Senate failed to do with Tim Scott's legislation is a vivid reminder that that uh, people like Chuck Schumer and others want to use this as a political issue. They don't really want to solve the issue. That, that's become increasingly apparent. But BLM is, is not about racial uh, tranquility. It's about imposing Marxism. Uh, their, their founders have said as much. Uh, Antifa is about chaos and violence. It's this talking about safe community and country. I, I mean, it couldn't be farther from the truth. It's kind of like when I was... 
going toe to toe on TV with uh, Anderson Cooper and and talk to him about you know the image on his network of a reporter saying mostly fiery but mostly peaceful protest while a building in, in a car dealership was on fire right behind him. I mean, it's like these people can't even can't even accept the very things that are happening right in front of their their faces. So this is just classic here. Um, the bare men of the U.S. did the fight fascism. Again, I, I think anyone who's studied anything about World War II, World War I for that matter as well, but particularly World War II, knows that had the United States not been drawn in to that war, and you can debate whether the U.S. should have gotten in before Pearl Harbor. That is a legitimate debate to have. But I think it's pretty clear that the U.S. engagement um, after Pearl Harbor, and it certainly didn't happen right away. It took several years and more than 400,000 Americans who made the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, but our presence in World War II was the defining factor that saved not just the United States, not just Great Britain and France, but really the world uh, from uh, the kind of uh, chaos and fascism and oppression that that would have come had Hitler and his allies in the evil axis uh, been able to uh, to win in that war. So, yeah, looking at history, I think it is pretty clear out there. Uh, history does show uh, around the world that there is there aren't examples of of good socialist nations. The the references Bernie Sanders and others of his supporters make to the Scandinavian countries, even the Danish prime minister makes it clear that they are not a socialist nation. They have very generous social uh, policies, but they have a, they don't have a socialist economy. They have a market-driven economy. Uh, and the places that have gone to purely socialism, like Cuba, like Venezuela, are failing their people. Uh, it's a philosophy that promises power to the people, but unfortunately ends up giving poverty to most people, and power is limited to the hands of the few who all too often use it to oppress the masses along the way. So people do need to look at their history books. They do need to look at the history of not just this country, but of the world. Is this country perfect? No, there is no country out there. There's no person in this world who's perfect. In fact, the last person to set foot on this planet uh, hasn't been here in more than 2,000 years physically uh, who was perfect, and every one of us since is far from it. Uh, but we are a country based on an unbelievable uh, concept of that all people are created equal and that we are endowed by our creator with certain liberties, uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that we are an imperfect nation but constantly striving to get better. And again, it's a great thanks. I've, I've often said that freedom, it's endowed by our creator, defined by our constitution, but defended each and every day by the men and women who probably wear the uniform of these United States. I'm going to keep on track with that philosophy and keep giving thanks to those people along the way, no matter what we hear from others. Until next time, I'm Scott Walker. Thanks for tuning in and keep fighting for freedom.